I had a very strange childhood. I had the worst case any doctor had ever seen. My job is to keep healing. So that is the story. We all have remarkable stories within us. Stories of adversity, challenges, triumphs, and ultimately of healing. This is Your Health, Your Story, the podcast. Hello there, fellow healers and truth seekers. Casper Schultz of Innovative Medicine, ready to jump into a really interesting subject on today's episode. Today's discussion centers around something that's been described as magical, out-of-this-world, cancer-busting, immune-boosting, and brain-balancing. What new drug are we getting into today? It's not a drug at all, or at least not a chemical one. We're talking about mushrooms. And today's guest has been around mushrooms his entire life. His father, Jeff Chilton, was an instrumental figure in the creation of the now booming medicinal mushroom product category, and he's carried on the torch to produce some really high-quality medicinal mushroom products that do a host of things. We'll get into what they are, as well as his thoughts on psychedelics and healing, what to look for in a mushroom-based product, why mushrooms from China really get a bad rap, and I even try to pull out an answer on his favorite mushroom. This is the story of real mushrooms with Sky Chilton. I'm here with Sky. He is the founder of Real Mushrooms, and, and this is a really interesting topic. We're going to talk about this mushrooms. They're everywhere right now. You've seen them. It's a big industry, but there's a lot to talk about. And I want to start with your story uh, because I was reading about it, and this is a family business. You grew up in mushrooms. So can you give us some of that insight of what it was like and uh, just go into the backstory because your father started a company. You were out foraging as a little kid mushrooms. What was that like? What's your story like? Yeah. So my dad, he came out of uh, university, started working on a mushroom farm, uh, was probably one of the only people that actually enjoyed it. Uh, it's, it's not a very fun job when you're shoveling compost all day and you're in like steamy grow houses. Uh, but for whatever reason, he really thrived in that and worked his way up at a mushroom farm in Washington state, uh, ended up becoming the manager. They sent him over to the Netherlands to do an apprenticeship there of like learning the different growing techniques, uh, that the Dutch people are using. And then he kind of brought that back. And they were growing primarily the button mushroom. So mm -hmm. one we all see in the grocery store. Uh, but they also on staff there, they had a Japanese scientist who is growing other culinaries. So this was in the uh, early to mid 70s. And so they were growing shiitake and they're growing enoki. And so they were one of the first farms in the US to try and sell shiitake. And it just didn't go very well. The market wasn't ready yet. Uh, but that really showed my dad that there was this whole other side to mushrooms that wasn't just the button mushroom that we all see. And so that kind of took him to Asia where he started traveling around in the late 80s and going to China and got him into the medicinal side of mushrooms and going kind of conferences at that period of time. There wasn't a lot of uh, white people going to China and and he was kind of the, one of the only people at these conferences and uh, one of the only white people that is and, and making connections then uh, really started learning more about the medicinal side of mushrooms. And, you know, he found the difficulty in quality from a very like early time when they would, people there would give him samples and say, hey, this is reishi mushroom, this is shiitake, this is maitake. And he's just, like holding a brown powder. You know, mm -hmm. and he's just like, how do I know that? <laughs> you know what? So that set him out on really trying to figure out what was in these products, you know, what were in these extracts? Uh, how do I quantify that? How do I know certain compounds are there? How do I verify that this is actually a reishi? Uh, and so he started um, selling and importing mushroom extracts kind of throughout the 90s and and a big component of that, that that he really wanted to do was organic because he was into organic foods. Um, and so in the mid-90s, he brought organic certifiers to China and started setting up the very first organic growers in China. And then by the late 90s, uh, he was uh, selling organic mushroom extracts to the North American market. Um, and so from my perspective, growing up through this, it was definitely... Uh, I kind of avoided it for a long time. It was not something, you know, it's like your dad's the mushroom guy. And <laughs> it's 
all the kind of stigma that goes along with that. But, uh, you know, we were going out locally and foraging mushrooms in fall, which is just amazing. Like we've got mountains nearby and forests and just amazing, pristine growing areas. Uh, so you can go out and pick mushrooms and cook them up and yeah, just awesome stuff. And then, you know, I was helping my dad in the business. I'm sure you might've been helping your dad as well. Absolutely. I totally get what you're saying. And I too had a kind of disdain a little bit for medicine. My dad was the alternative medicine dude, right? Mm -hmm. Who got out yeah. of like conventional and was using homeopathics and everything on me when I was little. And, and that was weird. And I wanted to get so far away from it and look <laughs> where I am now, look where you are now. Right. So, so where, where did it come back full circle for you to, to start real mushrooms? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, speaking to that is like, yeah, I went, I went into computers. I was like, dove right in, wanted to like create video games and just be a programmer. And I did that for probably 10 years out of school. And then around uh, kind of around 2010, I really started getting into my own health and just eating better. Um, I wouldn't say I was overweight, but you know, had a few extra pounds and was sitting at a desk and you know, going out to restaurants for lunch every day, not eating the healthiest food. And through that progression of just changing my diet, exercising again, I was, you know, an athlete in college, but that kind of just fell to the wayside. And, but bringing that back in was great. And so it was really like transferring my health and as well as starting out in my own business, I had another business with friends. Um, so my dad and I really connected over business and, you know, what, what's he doing? What am I doing? How does that kind of relate? And I started, you know, really looking at his business a lot more and, you know, helping people. Um, it was just an amazing product, uh, very passionate. And, and I sort of saw this hole in the market where, you know, a retail line can really come into play there. And yeah, just as I started almost relearning a lot of these things from my childhood, <laughs> of maybe I didn't know why at the time we were like eating mushrooms a bunch and things like that. <laughs> now I was, I was really learning, you know, there's like really good health benefits, whether you're taking it as a supplement or as a food. Um, and you know, it's something that I think all of us in North America need to add more into our diets. Um, regardless of how you're taking it, it's just, you know, an amazing food. It's, you know, uh, uh, a recycler. So it can just, grow on bio waste. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, sustainable. Uh, there's so many good things when you look at the actual growing practices of it, of how just simple it is. Yeah. I, I want to go into the art of growing mushrooms. But first I want to just kind of lay a baseline out of what are the benefits of mushrooms for people listening and may not know and just saying, okay, I, I add mushrooms into my meals every now and then. I'm not really a fan when I have Chinese food and the mushrooms are in them. I take them out. Like, what, what, what are the benefits for the body to intake mushrooms and why are they considered medicinal? Yeah, so mushrooms, they're primarily immunomodulators. So they have compounds in them that are going to help either uh, modulate our immune system, which is regulation. So they try to keep our body in homeostasis. Um, so that could be something like, you know, if we're sick and our immune system is suppressed, you know, it can help to bring that back up. Or if you think of something like allergies per se, which is like a overstimulation of our immune system can try to help rein that back in. Uh, and so most of the mechanisms of mushrooms primarily uh, revolve around our immune system and regulation. Um, certainly there are good minerals and vitamins in whole mushrooms if we're eating them as food as well as they're a very good source of dietary fiber. So they can act as a prebiotic as well for our gut. Um, but for the most part, it's immune system regulation. There is some specialties for certain mushrooms that we can definitely get into. Yeah, no, I, I want to hear about that. And I, I want to get to your favorite mushroom if you have one, but <laughs> we won't put you on the spot just quite yet. Now, there is an art form to growing anything. In nature, even before we started this, we started talking a little bit about that in order to have any good natural supplement, therapeutic uh, solution or anything, you got to start with a very high quality ingredient that's going to come from nature. So how do you at Real Mushrooms do that? How are you processing this? How are you growing these mushrooms so that 
they are of the highest quality. What does that entail? I've never actually mm -hmm. grown a mushroom before. I've seen them in the wilds, and I get that foraging must be fun. But how does it translate into something you're going to use for a medicinal solution? Right. Yeah, so mushrooms are bioaccumulators, so they pull out of a lot of whatever food that you give them. So you want to make sure that your substrate is uh, very clean to begin with. Um, but for mushroom growing, uh, it's important to distinguish uh, how, depending on how we use it, if we're using it for food or if we're using it for supplements. Um, because if you're buying mushrooms at the grocery store, the majority of what you're purchasing is water. So mm -hmm. mushrooms are generally 90% water weight. Uh, and this works so we can grow those fine in North America. We can sell them into the fresh market. Totally fine. But when we're looking at a supplement, uh, this is where the economics of mushroom growing really starts to come into play. Uh, so that fresh mushroom, uh, when you dry it out, is now 10% of the weight, uh, meaning you need to get 10x the price in that fresh market value as a dried product. And this is where it starts to break down. And this is what my father realized at a very kind of early period. And he knew that, you know, he had to go somewhere else for mushrooms. And this is one of the reasons that took him to China. So China has a very rich history of mushroom use, you know, thousands of years of use with traditional Chinese medicine, as well as they were, you know, the first country to start cultivating these mushrooms, you know, over 800 years ago, they figured out how to cultivate shiitake. Uh, so China now grows over 90% of the world's mushrooms. Uh, and so we have all of our mushrooms come from China. Um, there's a lot of stigma around that that we can get into, uh, and we definitely do a lot of testing to make sure that they are very clean and very pure, um, but it comes back to very simple growing practices. Uh, so most of the mushrooms grow on uh, wood substrates, primarily sawdust. Um, they can get enriched with different materials, uh, but they primarily grow on wood, uh, and then once these mushrooms are grown, they get harvested, dried, and taken to you know, state-of-the-art facilities that are multi-million dollar extraction facilities, full stainless steel, water treatment, all of that. But it's a really interesting process to go from basically bamboo shade houses that are out in the middle of these uh, kind of pristine environments that are well aware from, well, well far away from, you know, the industrial cities and things like that. We, when we go over there, we usually go over there every year and we'll be driving for hours kind of out into just like, passing tea farms, big bamboo forests, all kinds of stuff. And <laughs> we end up with these tiny little farms. Uh, and so it's going from this very almost low-tech um, environment that is very in tune with nature to, you know, state-of-the-art <laughs> extraction facilities where it's getting processed, processed, cooked up with hot water or alcohol, uh, concentrated, and then we'll take all the moisture out of that and it leaves us with the final extract powder. Got it. And it is true. China has a, a, a terrible stigma when it comes to supplements and being, yeah. you know, I've created, helped to create supplements and sometimes they are coming from China and you almost don't want to share that with the world. But, you know, tell us what are the quality assurances you're taking? Because I know there are wonderful things still coming out of China. Yes, there's yeah. abundance that have toxins in it, use heavy metals to kind of speed up the process. And there is the industrial side to it. But there's also a wonderful, rich tradition of producing high-quality things that can come out of China if you find it. So how are you maintaining the quality from you know, a place that has a stigma for being poor quality and toxic? Yeah, first is like the environment where they're growing. So we make sure that is totally clean, as clean as we can get. Um, and then, of course, once these mushrooms are harvested, they get tested for pesticides and heavy metals. Uh, once the finished extract powder is completed, it gets tested for pesticides and heavy metals again. Um, then we're importing them into the U.S. We send them out for testing again, and it's all third-party laboratories. Um, and then depending on if it's my father's company where he's, you know, he's selling it to other companies to use in the finished products, you know, those companies are going to be testing it again. Uh, usually when they receive the ingredient to when they get the finished product. So by the time a consumer gets it, you know, it can be tested for uh, maybe up to five times for pesticides, heavy metals, microbiological contamination. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a good point about the different areas. It's funny how like nobody points out things like, I don't know, turmeric or, you know, mm. which comes from India 
And it's like, no one's pointing that out. Uh, But some of these herbs, this is the regions that they're primarily grown in. Or, you know, in the case of mushrooms, you know, with such a rich history in China, it's like they have research institutes that are just dedicated to mushrooms. You know, there's probably more researchers in China than the rest of the world combined. Um, They just have so many people and the industry there is so much bigger in terms of just general consumption. I mean, when we go and visit China, I probably eat more mushrooms there in two weeks than most of the rest of the year. You know, it's just every meal has some sort of mushroom dish, uh, which is just amazing. And the number of varieties and like, they're so much cheaper too compared to, you know, the small scale just due to the economics and the volume of the scale that it's at there. Whereas like very few people buy shiitake here. So they're super expensive. Um, I would love to get shiitake like regularly, but (laughs) the price is tough. It makes sense. We work on a global scale now. It's such a global economy and the places that have a tradition for growing these things and are able to still um, hold on to that tradition, that, that's where you'd want to go to. Again, if you want Ayurvedic herbs, a lot of times India is the, still the place to go for that. And yeah. China is mushrooms. That's just how it goes. So now yeah. as a consumer, if I, if I were looking, this is a saturated market right now. I mean, I go on social media and I'm getting targeted left and right for different <laughs> types of powdered mushrooms versus this versus that. And there are so many brands. Can you break it down a little bit? What's the USP? What's the unique selling proposition of real mushrooms? How are you differentiated in such a saturated market? Sure. So yeah, like we were talking about, it comes back to quality and the quality materials that are going in. So, you know, one, it's always organic mushrooms. Um, and so when we're talking about mushrooms, we need to re- remember that there's uh, different uh, plant parts of these fungi. So we have the mushroom, we have the spore, and we have the mycelium. Um, so the spore is kind of considered like the seed. Um, it's out in the air all around us. There's always spores around. Um, it's going to land somewhere. It's going to germinate. Um, and then that germination will start to form hyphae, which then fuse into mycelium. And so the, the mycelium, if you think of that as the root system of this organism, it's the body of this organism. And then when the environmental conditions are right, uh, we see the mushroom, uh, which is also known as the fruiting body. Uh, the mycelium can be also called the vegetative body. Um, and so that is really important when it comes to products because we need to know what plant part that we're getting. And so back to the economics of mushroom growing and being is how we need to start with a dried ingredient to make an extract and mushrooms are too expensive for this. What you will now see in the marketplace is that companies will grow mycelium. So they'll grow the root system of the mushroom on a grain substrate. Um, so if you know of, do you know tempeh at all? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, so tempeh is a Indonesian food product where they take cooked soybeans and they inject a fungus on it. Um, it grows out into a white grain cake and they sell that as food. Um, so this is a similar process where you're taking uh, either rice, oats, sorghum. It's getting cooked. It's getting sterilized. We inject uh, the organism into it. Um, it'll begin to grow mycelium onto this grain log. And once that grain log is fully colonized, that gets dried and powdered and sold as a mushroom product. Um, And so we need to remember that there's no mushrooms involved. um, And there's still all of the substrate that the mycelium was growing on in there. Uh, And so what my father did back in 2015 was he went out into the marketplace. um, He bought a bunch of products. uh, He then tested uh, whole mushrooms as well as his own extracts. And we looked at uh, beta-glucan content. And so mushrooms and mycelium, the uh, cell wall is made up of beta-glucans. And so when we look at that, we can use that as a marker for fungal content. And so what he found was that uh, mushrooms themselves, the whole mushroom, very high in beta-glucans, very low in alpha-glucans. Alpha-glucans are things like starches and glycogen, um, cellulose. Um, and so with these myceliated grain products where you're growing the mycelium on the grain, what they claim is that the mycelium will consume the majority of this grain and what you're left with is mostly mycelium. 
But what we found out in the results was that there was very low levels of beta-glucan, very high levels of alpha-glucan, so almost the opposite of what a mushroom has, which really comes back to showing that this grain substrate is really not fully consumed at all. And so most of the product was actually starch. Do you think so this, there's a myth around mycelium? Because I'm actually looking at a book right now, Mycelium Running, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of people you know, are throwing that word around, I think, right now, mycelium, as if this is what you're looking for. But you're kind of saying you're not. That's, that's to the contrary of what you're you know, talking about right now. Yeah, so when you start to get into the research, um, you'll see like most of it is based around the mushroom mm-hmm. for the most part. But there is, I mean, there's a lot of good research on mycelium. So you have cordyceps CS4, for example, uh, back when, you know, cordyceps sinensis, which is the caterpillar fungus, if you're familiar with that. It's the most expensive mushroom in the world. It costs around $20,000 a kilo, mm-hmm. give or take. Um, so you'll see products touting it, but it's not in any supplements just to the price tag. Um, but the Chinese have been trying to grow this for probably 40 years now and have recently figured out how to do it. But originally what they ended up with was uh, pure mycelium. So instead of growing it on a grain, which is a solid substrate, you grow it in a liquid. And so you can grow it in a kind of nutrient bath. And at the end of that process, you can drain off the water and you get pure mycelium, almost like a tofu cake, if you think Mm. of it that way. Uh, And so the Chinese came up with Cordyceps CS4, which was a pure mycelium ingredient. And if you look that up on PubMed, you'll find a lot of research around it. Um, It got approved uh, as a drug in China. Uh, So there there is good research on mycelium. And this is kind of where the confusion comes into play because you'll get a lot of pointing at, oh yeah, there's lots of mycelium research, but it isn't consistent, still isn't consistent with the products that are out there. So if a product is, you know, mostly grain or more than 50% grain, is it really a mycelium product? Is it a grain product? Uh, When you look at, you know, the difference in compounds. So uh, mycelium in general will have less of the beta-glucan compounds. We've looked at CS4, you know, it might be around 8 to 10% beta-glucan versus say maybe 30% in the mushroom. Um, But it still has low levels of alpha-glucan, which are the glycogens and the starches and things like that. And so with, we still see the opposite when we're talking about, say, a cordyceps mycelium that's grown on grain and it might have upwards of 60% alpha uh, versus, say, like four with the actual pure mycelium. So something is not consistent with that profile. So it really breaks down to quality is in the mm-hmm. end. And, and a lot of these, like in the supplement realm in general, everything, you have these products out there that are pushing out these kind of miraculous claims. but. The quality isn't there. The research may even be behind many of the ingredients used, but if it's not of the same quality, it's not going to have the same results. So I, I think you know that's that's a big part of it. When you're creating these, uh, you know, tinct- I guess they're tinctures. Would you call them that? Real mushrooms has or we do extract powders. Extract so basically, powders. it's it's a tincture at one point during the extraction process um, when it's getting concentrated, and then we put it through what's called spray dryer kind of it's like a giant heated cyclone that has hot air going up and your liquid comes out the top and it evaporates all your moisture leaving you with just the extract powder itself um so you end up not paying for any of the solvents do you lean more towards combination or single ingredients it's a that's a tricky one uh so i mean one of our best selling products is a combination of mm-hmm. you know reishi shiitake maitake turkey tail chaga, which are considered the main immune system boosters. So that's more of, you know, an immune product. Um, And, you know, there was, uh, there's actually an interesting study recently out of Australia that was last year that saw increased cytokine production for reishi, shiitake, maitake when they put it in combination versus just solo. Uh, So it's, you know, it's hard to say. I, I think there might be you don't want to do too many and then right. you kind of get the dosage too low of some of these um, because there's other, what we always kind of call them as like kitchen sink products when you get into marketing and now it's like 10 mushrooms and 15 mushrooms and yeah. 20 mushrooms and, and more is better, but then your dosage is going down on all of them. And so maybe there's certain ones that you don't really need. 
Yeah, I always found that creating any supplement that's a formula is more of an art form and you're trying to find the right ratios to it, not just more is better. And you're actually mm -hmm. looking for the least amount that come together synergistically are bioavailable and have the greatest effect. Yeah. So, so I totally get that that more is, is not better in this case, and sometimes <laughs> less is way better. Now, let's talk a little bit about stress and mushrooms as adaptogens. Um, what have you found with the research and what you're looking at anecdotally and everything where mushrooms are impacting how we are now basically processing stress? And there's a lot of stress in the world right now, a lot. Man. Would you say that mushrooms are an adequate solution uh, and an adaptogen in itself uh, when taken? Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's a difficult question. Uh, certainly, we all have, you know, environmental stressors. We've got, you know, stress is, is everywhere right now, whether it's just in our work, uh, in our personal lives, uh, <laughs> in the environment around us. Um, and I think, you know, mushrooms can be part of that. Uh, certainly, there's one clinical study with Lion's Mane where they showed improvement in uh, stress and anxiety. Uh, I think that was a two to three gram dose of the just the mushroom powder itself unextracted. Um, so there's definitely uh, some research there to support that. And, and certainly, I think, um, you know, as immunomodulators and adaptogens, having that regulation constantly in flux to where if we are um, if there's something going to be, you know, stress us out or, you know, try and spike our cortisol in any, any way, we can have that modulation at play right there and it can help us to, you know, mitigate some of those effects. Um, is it the thing with mushrooms is they're not necessarily something that you're going to feel right off the bat. You know, they're not caffeine, they're not aspirin. Um, and that's kind of one of the tricky parts of that is what exactly are they doing? Mm -hmm. and, and so if, you know, I'm taking them every day, I just have them on hand, but it's like, if I don't, if I don't get sick for a year, is it, is it the mushrooms? Is it <laughs> exercise? Is it good sleep? Is it, is it all of the above? You know, it's, it can be really hard to pinpoint unless, you know, it's, you know, people have outlying uh, underlying conditions that maybe or it's like, Oh yeah, wow. And they're doing regular testing and, and see different markers so yeah some i mean some of the best supplements out there really are about those nuanced levels of improvement that most people can't tell you know we've had a lot of people take certain supplements that are meant to slowly adapt your body because the body doesn't work like you said caffeine quick but then you drop and then mm -hmm. you need more and you become dependent on it so any good i feel like supplement should be almost nuanced in its way and continue to uh you know improve functioning now, one of the things I, I've heard so much that's even bigger than the topic of mushrooms itself is psychedelics, and that gets connected <laughs> to mushrooms. I want to hear, what, are you, what is your stance on psychedelic microdosing, right? You got Tim Ferriss, you got Michael Pollan, you got all these people. I mean, I, I honestly don't have even enough information to have a true stance on it, but you're a mushroom guy. What's your stance on this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's great to see it moving in the direction of legalization, sort of following the cannabis route. Um, I think that's, you know, just great to start to de decriminalize some of these substances and, you know, treat them a little more fairly. And certainly uh, with mushrooms, uh, specifically magic mushrooms, you know, you do have to be careful. You, you know, they, uh, that is something that you're definitely going to feel. Um, and you know, we know why we know the active compounds, you know, we've got psilocybin in there and, and other smaller compounds. Um, but I think it's, it's cool that, uh, people are starting to learn more about this and experiment with it, whether it's in a micro dose or, you know, a full size dose. And we're seeing some, you know, pretty amazing results in terms of, you know, treatment of depression, you know, PTSD, uh, other conditions where traditional like medicine is not working, you know, the conventional medicine or drugs just can't, isn't doing anything or, you know, can help with addictions and, and other, you know, it's, so it's, it's amazing. And I'm surprised at how much strides have been taken recently yeah. to really, you know, perceive it in a better light where it was just so stigmatized for so long and same with cannabis too. 
do you have a fear it may go too far where we're, you know, or the, the claims themselves may start to get people. Cause I think that's the problem a little bit you're finding right now. I know in the medical community, this mm-hmm. idea that many people are pushing that medical marijuana CBD is, is the cure all almost. And doctors <laughs> are sort of like, come on guys, we're not, we're not knocking it even, but we yeah. are saying it's not a cure all, right? It could be <laughs> very helpful, but let's not go too far and be like, let's get rid of all medicine and just do CBD. And yeah. I think you don't want the same thing to be with mushroom because you might get pushback from the conventional medical community, right? Totally. Yeah, totally agree. And similar with, you know, medicinal mushrooms as well as, you know, it's like people are saying, oh, yeah, it can do X, Y, and Z or whatever. And it's, you know, maybe, maybe not. And that, as we know, with, you know, <laughs> uh, just the herbal medicines is like, we don't have a lot of clinical evidence. And, you know, no one is willing to spend the money in that field to really try and prove some of these things. But we do have, you know, traditional use and we do have the anecdotally what we can take away from from certain things. But yeah, it's, I think I'm more so scared about maybe just the corporatizing of it. Mm -hmm. And will it get, you know, overly patented or trademarked or, you know, there's uh, cannabis strains that are patented? Um, Is it going to become more drug-like to where a lot of people won't be able to access these? Uh, I think certainly you need uh, caution, uh, when consuming some of these products, I think a a microdose is totally fine. I mean, that's, you're not going to really notice anything. It'll be really subtle, but bigger doses. I mean, you definitely want to do that in a healthy setting. And if you're in the wrong state of mind during that, it, it can be bad. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, I'm glad you brought up that idea of patenting things. We recently had someone that, that reached out to us. We, we use cat's claw on one of our products for a brain and it's for inflammation, but this person apparently had 32 patents on cat's claw, which is a natural substance and correlating it to anything to the brain. So basically saying we couldn't use it and say it was for any brain or anything. It's like, it's a wow. natural thing, man. It's, it's grown in nature. How can you patent that and say, you know, you can't do that. That stunts others ability to utilize it for their own gain in a sense health-wise so it was really it was and i started reading and researching and reached out to an attorney who was a patent attorney he's like yeah this is the new thing people are just patenting things in nature and it it really is kind of bizarre when you think about you know you're going to start to see patents of like certain air qualities or things like that and that's where it's like all right that makes it really difficult for companies like yours and mine as well yeah. To do good things and keep innovating with nature to try and bring the best therapeutic results. Yeah, totally. It's and I'm sure they're probably not even involved in the category either. No. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> just, you know, patent people that are creating patents nonstop and just I don't know. I don't know how it works if they just come up with ideas and then just branch it across multiple different implications and there we go. That's yeah, and, and that's that's the scary part about this medicine as a whole, getting that industrialization of it and getting companies to start doing that. So I'm really hoping that doesn't go that way. Yeah, it's it's a tough balance because I think you you need some of that buy-in to bring the legitimization of it to where mm-hmm. you can get the government on board to start to decriminalize and, you know, regulate it and things like that. Because I mean certainly in the cannabis industry right now, you've got a huge variance in the amount of THC in products, which to some level is scary, you know, especially, you know, if you have some tiny little cookie or candy or something like that, that has, you know, 50 milligrams in it where, you know, you don't, there's no way you should be taking that much. I don't know. Well, maybe some people, but I feel (laughs) like that, that scares me. Uh, and, and so I think having, you know, there's going to need to be some corporate tie in there. It's not going to be completely grassroots anymore. Um, and that's going to just help to legitimize it in the eyes of whoever's regulating it. Yeah. And I do think that the consumer still has the power, right? So if the consumer understands the importance of quality, what you're educating, what I try to always tell people that quality matters, they will demand that with their dollars to the corporations that really care about the dollars and still satisfy 
what you're going for, which is kind of the passion, art, and skill of it using quality products. So there is a balance, and I do think the education and awareness will yeah. keep that balance and not sway it too far. Unfortunately, I do think that's happening in the marijuana industry, but hopefully, yeah. you know, that, that can switch and we can learn from that as we move forward. Yeah, it'll be certainly interesting to see how that shape shakes out. And there's, I mean, there's so much capital in that space right now that, and that's kind of spilling over into psychedelics. Uh, so, yeah, yeah I, I don't know where it's going to go. <laughs> I don't think anyone does. Yeah, yeah. especially after 2020. I don't think anyone knows where <laughs> anything's going to go in the world of everything yeah. out there. Um, yeah. You know, I, I posed... I reached out to Instagram for some questions here because I okay. wanted to hear what they had to say. So I'm going to just throw these out at you and you could just kind of give me whatever you, what are the best mushrooms to cook with? Ooh, wow. Um, personally, I like, I mean, shiitakes are amazing. Mm -hmm. Oyster is pretty good. If you can get, get it like fresh chanterelles. Um, I love chanterelles. Pine mushrooms are pretty tasty. Uh, let me see hedgehogs. Um, but I think, you know, my favorite to cook with are, are chanterelles. Okay. Best nootropic mushrooms for brain function. Lion's mane. Yeah, for sure. There's for sure. definitely the most research there. Um, it's got a couple different clinical trials, you know, sh showing, uh, help with whether it's like depression and anxiety or, uh, improved cognitive scores. Um, as well as like greater mushroom intake in general, there's a few interesting co cohort studies out of Japan where they saw a lot of, uh, really good health markers from people that just consumed more mushrooms. Now, what about immune system? Is there one that you think stands out? I know you said a combination could do very well, but is there one that stands out? I mean, for, for me, I usually think of chaga, but I, I'm not, you know, well-versed in it. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, for some reason, I don't consume a lot of chaga other than with our blend product. But, you know, I'd lean more towards some like, say, like a reishi, which mm. just has a really long history of use. It's probably the most researched mushroom. Um, shiitake and maitake are like, you know, have been around for a long time, been consumed for a long time. They've both kind of gone through their uh, let's see, like popular phases. My dad always makes jokes about, I guess, what is Chaga is kind of dubbed the king of mushrooms right now, even though it's, it's not technically, technically a mushroom, but mm -hmm. you know, when he was first getting into it, it was, I think it was shiitake. It was like the king of mushrooms. It changes. Yeah. And then he like saw my come into play and then it was like reishi. And like now people are calling Chaga the king of mushrooms. Uh, so yeah, it was like shiitake when they were doing a lot of research on lentinin. Uh, and then they were getting into maitake and it was these different fractions in maitake that was getting a lot of, uh, publicity and play there. And, and certainly there's, you know, unique compounds and triterpenes and reishi too, that have a lot of solid research around it. So, oh, and as well as like turkey tail, that's a big one in terms mm. where there's been, uh, some good research on just helping with immunity and, uh, different conditions. What about gut health? Any good, uh, mushrooms there? Yeah. I mean, chaga's been kind of traditionally used for gut health. Mm. Um, I think, you know, most of them will be pretty solid if, you know, for eating it, eating mushrooms with the fiber there, you know, that's going to be a good prebiotic, uh, and really help to nourish it. The beta glucans, you know, those help, uh, with the, your gut. Um, uh, yeah, we usually talk about chaga a lot for gut health. It's kind of funny in in China, they actually have, you know, they don't use lion's mane in terms, they don't think about it in terms of cognition or brain health or anything. They actually think of it in terms of gut health because there is a, uh, it's a cookie kind of biscuit thing that they make with lion's mane um, that is geared towards digestion and gut health. So that's what they kind of know for like lion's mane products. Yeah. And it's your second brain, right? So many neurons yeah, in your gut. So that does make sense. Which mushrooms can be combined together to increase bioavailability? Hmm. As long as they're extracted, and that's fine. Yeah. Nothing, yeah, not adding them together is not going to really increase bioavailability. Now, is it beneficial to take medicinal mushrooms in a capsule or tablet form, or would you suggest more of a tincture or just powdered? 
Uh, either or, no real preference there. It no doesn't preference. matter. It's like, yeah, we get that question a lot. And it's, you know, whatever you can do to get it into your daily routine. Um, if you're taking a lot of capsules already, you know, take capsules. You know, if you like making bulletproof coffee or a smoothie or something like that every day, add it in there. Just whatever it is that you can get it into your daily routine. Do you find biohackers are using this more and more mushrooms? Yeah, definitely. Um, certainly because I know with, traditionally uh, patients have used it for things, you know, problems, but now you're seeing optimization as well. I mean, that's, that's the name of the game, prevention and optimization. Biohackers are leading that way. I know mm -hmm. they're talking about mushrooms. So do you find more and more of these kind of optimization people are coming to you for solutions? Yeah, definitely. Some of the, some of the customers at Namex are kind of in that space, like the nootropic space for sure. Um, and with, yeah, kind of biohackers looking into nootropics, lion's mane always comes up there. Um, it's interesting cause you know, like reishi, cordyceps, tremella, maybe maitake also have other studies showing like different neurological function. Um, but lion's mane usually always gets kind of the publicity on that one. Right. Now you touched on this before, but I'm just going to pose it again because it's about mental health and how effective is microdosing mushrooms for mental health. Hmm. I don't think I've seen enough research, research there to yeah. really know. I mean, yeah, it's. Hmm, I think. Yeah, I don't know about it's that. It's a one. tough one, right? Because when you talk about mental health and the use of any natural substance, you, you kind of have to address what is the cause of the mental side. It is no different, you know, mental health and physical health, it's all health, right? And yeah. without understanding what the root causes underlying dysfunctions that are causing it, it's very hard to just reach into nature and say, solve it. Um, so that, that's been my kind of take that absolutely, it may be able to address something there, clearing a blockage or some kind of system, belief system that's triggering a mental you know, right. dysfunction, or maybe it's something that isn't at all correlated and that's creating the mental problem. Yeah, I guess it depends on what exactly the the mental health condition is. If it's something like, I don't know, Alzheimer's or dementia or something like that, uh, I don't really know. But certainly yeah. I think they're saying with, at least with magic mushrooms and psilocybin, that it you know can help to create new neural pathways. And um, certainly when you're, um, you know, tripping out, um, it, it's making new connections there to kind of show us different things and whether or not those have a lasting effect or not um, is hard to say uh, as well as, you know, with lion's mane in there too, kind of helping with nerve, helping to stimulate nerve growth factor um, could help in certain cases. I mean, certainly uh, one of the studies out of Japan um, showed improved cognitive scores, but they also found when they stopped taking them, this was elderly people after they stopped, um, a lot of the symptoms came back. Interesting. Now, mm -hmm. are there any books that people could read? I mentioned my seal and running that people kind of pointed me into and, uh, but are there any books right. you would recommend to learn more about mushrooms? Yeah. So there's, uh, Christopher Hobbs. Um, he's a clinical herbalist. Uh, his book called medicinal mushrooms is good. Uh, there's Martin Powell. Uh, he's been in, you know, the industry for a long time. He has medicinal mushrooms, a clinical guide. Um, there's also an, a really small book that's maybe like $5 from, uh, he's an ND, um, Dr. Stangler, I want to say, mm. uh, I think it's called the health benefits of medicinal mushrooms. Um, one, I like really good one that I like it's, um, it's a book that's translated from Chinese. Um, I think it's just called Lingzhir, which is the Chinese name for Reishi, but it's by uh, Lin Jubin, who's one of the top uh, Reishi researchers out of China. And the one I just got recently was uh, another clinical guide by um, Robert Rogers. It's medicinal mushrooms, similar to clinical guide. Sounds like there's a lot of literature out there that, that people yeah. could definitely dive into. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, I'm kind of more on the research side of things when I'm looking for different papers and see, it's nice to get those summaries and then you can dig into the references and, and figure it all out. But, um, I mean, uh, what's, uh, Tarot at Four Sigmatic, his, his book too, which is more of a, 
a really like a simple version. Um, lots of recipes and uh, it's a really easy read, not as scientific. I can't remember what it's called, functional fungi or, but this is good. Yeah, no, I, I think that's plenty if you want to jump <laughs> in right there and learn all about mushrooms. Now, what's your daily health regimen look like? Because I, I saw you study Chinese three times a week. So are you taking any nootropics to, to learn that? And how's that coming along, by the way? I heard Chinese is incredibly difficult to learn. Yeah, so yeah, it's been maybe four years now, of three or four years of lessons now. But I figured uh, getting into this business and visiting China, it was important to try and learn the language. Uh, and so it's been, yeah, super difficult. Um, there's a lot of sounds that, you know, if you're just spoken English your entire life, you've never, you've never made these sounds with your mouth before. And I know like you must know Polish, right? Yes, I do. Yes. Yeah. But uh, probably not nearly as hard, but de definitely <laughs> difficult in some ways. There is no translation for certain words, right? Um, that makes it a little difficult, but I, I can imagine Chinese is 10 times harder. <laughs> yeah. There's just those sounds that you don't make in English, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I've got some family that's Polish and heard yeah. some of the words and was like, okay, I can maybe try and make that sound. But yeah, so it was like, initially I got these pretty cool little videos that show exactly where to put your mouth and how to make these different sounds. And then it's just the practice. Um, but it's, you know, at, you know, four, three to four o'clock in the afternoon when you're having a, a lesson. And so my tutor is, is in China and it's maybe seven, eight AM her time you know, at the end of a work day, it can be certainly tough. So I, I try and take a, a little break before my lesson just to kind of regroup and get a little bit of energy. Some days are definitely better than others, but I mean, it's, it's been fun. And I think it's, it's just, uh, it's like a mental workout really. Like I, I just feel, yeah, it's some, yeah, some days can be just awful, but, uh, when it clicks, it's just great. And then, getting back to China and visiting there is, is always nice when you can speak a little bit more and people are, are very appreciative um, when they have foreigners that can speak Chinese or at least, you know, like try to speak Chinese because I think most people don't. And uh, I think that goes for any country you're visiting. If you can pick up at least a few things and, you know, at least a please and thank you and, and a few different phrases, you know, they're, they're super appreciative. It's got to be because I, I mean, I've traveled everywhere and there is this kind of almost obnoxiousness to it that you should be speaking English in a foreign <laughs> land because I can't understand you or say a single yeah. word. So um, after traveling to many countries, I realized just pick up those few words. But since you go there all the time, that's awesome. And I have to say that I know a doctor who said his morning routine, he stopped meditating mm. and just picked up trying to learn Chinese and it's been better for him as mm. far as just, you know, getting that kind of mental um, workout for him. So. Yeah. And in terms of morning routine, I'm, I'm usually up pretty early and it's yeah coffee first thing with, with some fats in it and some mushrooms and um, I'll kind of just drink some coffee until 10 or 11 before I really have any food, but it's yeah, eggs and some greens and some fats of some sort. And then I'll try and push any carbs to the afternoon. Um, and so you don't abide by any singular diet. You're not a ketogenic or pescatarian or anything. <laughs> no, not really. I feel like it's, um, you know, limit sugars, limit processed foods, uh, everything in moderation. I mean, like right now I'm just, uh, kind of recovering from uh, a friend's birthday on the weekend where, you know, had a couple extra drinks, had cake, had ice cream, had all that stuff and I'm paying for it. You know, like <laughs> my skin's breaking out a little bit. I've had too much sugar and sleep wasn't as good. So, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, we should be able to indulge every now and then. And it, I mean, it depends on the person. If you're somebody that really needs that strict regiment or else you'll just go off and everything falls apart. Um, but I, I know I kind of stick to a, a 80, 20 routine of, you know, you know, eat well, most of the time, exercise most of the time, you know, be lazy. If you feel like being lazy, um, don't, don't be super strict or over critical on yourself. That's awesome advice because I find too many people, even when they go into health regimens or diets or whatever it is and don't make it a lifestyle, keep it so strict that they lose any joy out of it. And there's so much stress associated with it that yeah. it's actually detrimental so that you went vegan, but you're so stressed about what you eat. You're, you're eating in a poor state. 
your your you know the sympathetic nervous system is on you can't even digest the the great you know veggies you're eating and you hate life and that's not what it's meant right any health regimen should be one of joy also yeah i mean certainly the more restrictive diets are are pretty tough and i know people that have gone through them and there's yeah it's, it's too hard you know it's yeah. too hard and you don't end up not enjoying food which is you know kind of sad you know and it's I enjoy cooking, so it's, you know, I want to make good food. I'm, you know, I want to make sure it's healthy the majority of the time. Like, I don't really know how to cook dessert or anything like that or bake. So it's, <laughs> it's mostly just like making good stuff to eat. And, and whether, I mean, for the most part, it's kind of like good meats, veg, green vegetables, and uh, who knows, like sweet potato or rice or quinoa or something like that is in terms of like a carbohydrate. So, sure. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple for the most part. And yeah, it's just rotates around like good meats and good vegetables. So I got to go back to my question. Do you have a favorite mushroom? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's whatever I have on hand. Ah, um, nice. Very PC. <laughs> yeah. But I'd say, yeah. Hmm. I probably take reishi and lion's mane the most. The I most. Say. Yeah, it's the most utilitarian, you'd say, probably. Yeah, I'd say, you know, both of those are really solid. I mean, it's, uh, it's such a tough one to, like, go out and recommend <laughs> them where I'm like, oh, but I, I was taking turkey tail last week, and, uh, and that one's really good, too. But uh, I think, you know, I think long-term, whatever, figure out which one is your favorite. And, I mean, it, it could be a variety. You can cycle through different ones, but as if you can just stay consistent with that, I think that's the most important piece about that. How many mushrooms are you guys cultivating using at Real Mushrooms for your products? Uh, I think about eight. Okay. Um, yeah, there's maybe like so. Yeah, at Namax, my father's company, I think. They sell maybe 12 different ones. And certainly I think China cultivates maybe 20 to 30 different varieties in, in mass. Um, they have like a lot more of the culinary ones that I wish we would get over here, like Enoki and Shimeji. And um, you can find them at, uh, at some of like the Chinese markets. Yeah. Yeah. No, very cool for those that are into culinary things to be utilizing, you know, those mushrooms that we don't see much. Mm -hmm. uh, what's what's next for you guys what are you like excited about in this field and what are you doing that's exciting you yeah so a couple different things um we've got our our vitamin d product which we're pretty excited about and and so basically mushrooms have a fungal sterol all of them do called ergosterol um the more culinary mushrooms typically have higher amounts and when ergosterol is exposed to uv light it'll actually convert into vitamin d2 Cool. Uh, and so we have a, a high vitamin D2 mushroom product. Um, so we're pretty excited about that. We've got a, a cool new blend coming out in probably two months that we're really excited about that uh, my dad helped to formulate and kind of wanted a like a total care type product that you can just take every day and not worry about things. So, you know, we're excited about that one as well as um, the other thing that's been on the radar for over the last couple of years is uh, mushrooms also have, um, let's see, it's an amino acid called ergothionine. Are you familiar with ergothionine? So I'm not. Uh, yeah. So it's an amino acid that some people are claiming is, you know, the next vitamin mm. uh, and mushrooms and fungi are one of the only um, uh, organisms, organisms that can produce this compound. And what they're seeing is that as we age, um, we don't produce it in the body, but as we age, it actually like decreases in our bodies. Uh, and so this could have age-related implications. Um, and that was, there's a uh, big uh, cohort study out of Singapore. When did they publish that? 2019, I think, um, where they showed just general mushroom consumption uh, helped to decrease cognitive um, impact, cognitive impairment. And they thought it was related to ergothionine. Um, so we're That's super very interested cool. in, yeah. in trying to optimize ergothionine. Um, so we've done a lot of testing on it and we're working on a few different things around that. And 
Um, so that's exciting. And, you know, there's, yeah, a ton of different areas. We're always looking at trying to quantify new compounds. Um, so we've got some work going on in Reishi right now, as well as Lion's Mane, because there's unique compounds in Lion's Mane too, um, that no like commercial labs are able to quantify at the moment. And there's lots of debate, uh, over the kind of nootropic qualities of these compounds and different claims from different companies. So, um, we're looking to kind of debunk and, and kind of open the curtains on some of this stuff. Uh, so yeah, getting to work with some cool researchers, um, but it's always, always something new for the most part. Isn't that amazing that we're still finding all this new stuff about something that's been here for so long and we've used for like thousands of years and we're now learning more and more from it. You know, I always say we, 80%, I think it is of all pharmaceuticals start off on finding some compound in a natural substance that's yep. found in nature, plant-based usually some sterols in it, whatever it is. And then we chemically reproduce that in a lab, but, mm -hmm. but it all starts there and, and learning about this stuff and how much you could still find in mushrooms <laughs> and then apply to the body to enhance, to regulate, to, it's crazy to me. It really is. So that's awesome that you're pushing these boundaries in the mushroom industry and still finding yeah. all this cool new stuff. I mean, it's, it's really exciting. It's really fun. You know, every day seems to be something new and, you know, we've got, an amazing team of people here and everyone is excited about mushrooms and I'm excited that the industry is, is growing and consumers are really getting excited about mushrooms too. And thinking of them as whether it's as, you know, a supplement or as food, I think it's just really important that this kind of mushroom phobia is uh, starting to go away a little bit. I mean, you know, like I'm sure, I don't know. I'm, does your parents talk about like foraging mushrooms? Cause I know in like Poland, it's pretty big. You know, they grew up uh, in Warsaw in like, you know, okay. the ghettos of Warsaw. So there was no foraging, but when they were in college, they got to go to the South to the Tatra mountains where I know they forage sometimes. And, and uh, they did mention that they tried once in a while to do that <laughs> and go out with the local, the, the Tatra people there. And, um, yeah, they said that was that was fun. So, but I can't imagine growing up, you know, like that. That was your everyday. So, you know, it, to you, it seems like a passion, an art form, a skill, and it's been kind of carried on from you're the next generation to do it. So, I find that yeah. awesome. Yeah, I'm ex I'm excited that just yeah, people are getting out there and trying to learn more about mushrooms, and you know, the foraging thing is great, and it's more so. People are getting past the like, oh yeah, don't pick that. It's it's gonna kill you or something right. like that, you know? I mean you still need to be careful, but I'm I'm glad people are just open to it a lot more now and, and open to eating mushrooms because, you know, it was just limited to the button mushroom for so long and it, and the button mushroom is just so boring and and tasteless and uh man. So yeah. I'm you, so well, glad there's more variety. Right. When you bring up that poisonous mushroom, I go back to that office episode where Michael Scott goes into the wilderness and Dwight has to save him from eating the poisonous mushrooms. And and it's just, yeah, people associate picking mushrooms, unfortunately, in, in the forest as you're going to get poisoned. So uh, there definitely needs to be some more education, I think, about that. And you're doing for a great sure. job at it. Scott, where could people for, learn more about you and real mushrooms? Yeah, sure. Just check out our website, uh, realmushrooms.com. Uh, we're pretty active on Instagram for the most part, uh, at Real Mushrooms. If you search us, you should find us. Uh, we've got a Facebook group as well called uh, Real Mushrooms Insiders. I think we're up to six or 7,000 people now who are all just, you know, interested in mushrooms and, you know, send your questions our way. We're always help, happy to answer. Uh, um, but yeah, I think that's, you know, we got tons of good resources on our website too, all kinds of different mushroom articles, um, lots of stuff going into, you know, the nitty gritty of, of products and what to look for and compounds and testing and all the stuff that I like. Yeah. And it sounds like great resources for resources for anyone to learn more about this. And that's what it's all about. Education is empowerment. Empowerment is getting your health back and keeping it. So Scott, totally. thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Casper. Maybe we've gotten so far away from nature that we can't see the amazing options, such as mushrooms, it provides us to help us heal and optimize our bodies, minds, and souls.
Sky's mission and the things he's uncovering about mushrooms is pretty inspiring, and I connect with his level of craftsmanship in producing real mushroom products, as I've seen time after time that quality determines results, and nature holds the answers to many of our health problems. Check out real mushrooms, add their products to your health regimen, and even add some mushrooms into your diet as well. Utilize what Mother Nature provides and what people like Sky have made it their life mission to make it as easy as possible to take advantage of and continue to write your own healing story.